0: Okay, so here it is, the question is your. Perhaps it'll be on the SATs, so those of you who are about to take those, listen up. Those of you who have already taken them, we may, um, we may have to take back your college degrees if you don't get this answer right, okay? So, um, so here we go, are you ready? Who lives in a pineapple under the sea? SpongeBob SquarePants, that's who lives in a pineapple under the sea. That's right. Somebody's saying, who in the world is SpongeBob SquarePants? <laughs> He's a cartoon character. Yes, and if you watch Nickelodeon, you would find him. Any eight-year-old could tell you who lives, in a spo- who lives in a pineapple under the sea. I love SpongeBob. I love him for his sense of humor. If you've never seen, you should watch. He has a great sense of humor. I love him for the way he cares for his pet snail, Gary. Although there's this one time where he took the dirty bubble challenge, bouncing his ball off a paddle ball, and he didn't feed him for 10 days and he ran away. But that was an aberration. He's usually really good with his pet. I love him for his commitment to his friends. I love him for his willingness to see good in all people. But I'll tell you what I like most about SpongeBob if you've not watched it, you should. I love him for his optimism. This little sponge is continually optimistic. Even when his boss was so greedy that he wanted to keep the, the store open 24 hours a day, Spongebob only answered, Well, I guess that means we never have to quit working. It was a great thing. It'll be like a sleepover. He, he's always happy, always optimistic. His, um, his co-worker, Squidward, who's a squid, in case you haven't figured that one out, Squidward is just the opposite. He's a pessimist. He's always dour about everything, always upset but not even Squidward's dour uh, disposition can can quell SpongeBob's optimism. He's always happy. I love optimistic people, don't you? Don't you just love? I mean, when the optimism is just so contagious. But there's a problem, and you've already guessed it, haven't you? The problem is is that Spongebob is a cartoon character. He isn't real. Somebody's sitting there saying, I don't think he knows this. I think our preacher thinks that that the sponge is really real. No, I know he's a cartoon character. The whole clever charm of Spongebob is based on the comedic absurdity that nobody can be that happy all the time. Nobody can be that optimistic about the future all the time. I did know this Methodist minister in Kentucky his name was Fred Wiles. And the first time I met him, I said, Hi, Fred, how are you? And he said, I'm doing great by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he shook my hand so hard that I think he shook my whole body. And I wanted to hit him. You know, I, no, you're not that happy. But for two years I knew this man. And every time I saw him, always the same reaction. Always doing great by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I got to the point where I would shake him, where I would hold my other arm with my, my free hand, just to kind of keep myself... Together. Nobody, though. Fred is he proves that he's the exception to the rule. Nobody's that optimistic. Nobody. And you know why, don't you? Because we turn on the news and we see politicians making all sorts of promises. Read my lips, no new taxes. You remember that one? Or um or, or what about change you can believe in? We knew when we heard this that it was just the same old lines. We go to the car dealer. He says, oh, I'm not making a penny on this. I'm giving this to you at my cost. You've heard that one, yes? And three months later, you, sell, you see on the TV that he's selling the same car that he sold to you for like 75% of the price. Not making a dime on it, are you, buddy? We go to a physician. He says, oh, there's a 90% chance there's nothing to worry about. And you spend the whole night worrying about that little 10%, don't you? You know why, don't you? Because we've come to believe that disappointment is a part of life. In fact, we're so used to being disappointed that we bank on it. It's why I'm still a Browns fan. It's the only thing that I can be sure of. (laughs) They will continually disappoint me. People are unreliable. Sometimes they're downright evil. It's why we're suspicious and cynical. It's why we're more like Squidward and less like Spongebob. But you know, we don't have anything going that's new. In first century Israel, things were much tougher than they are today. If you were an Israelite, if you were a Jew living in the first century, you had been used to more disappointment than any Cleveland Browns fan has ever known. The Babylonians invaded Israel in 587 and took them captive into exile. And for almost 600 years there was almost not a scant bit of self-rule among the Jews. They were passed around from the Babylonians to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Syrians, and by the time of Jesus to the Romans. They were like the property of every Middle Eastern superpower that would come along. They had prayed, they had longed for self-rule, they had longed that God would one day restore the kingdom of David and Solomon, but no, it didn't happen. They had preachers who came along. You can't trust those preachers either. They had preachers who came along. Well, some of them. And and they would hear this message, this sermon. God's going to restore Israel. God's going to put everything back to rights. In fact, just wait. One day, you'll see people from every country streaming into Jerusalem. It happened, you know. But it took a long time. And in Jesus' day, it had not happened yet. So they waited and they prayed. In fact, they kind of got convinced that they didn't really know how to pray. And so they would follow around and try to get somebody to teach them how to pray. Here we have it. Lord, will you teach us to pray? Just like John taught his disciples to pray. And so we have in Luke's text, the Lord's Prayer. And a lot of people have prayed this, like I'm sure I have many times. Like their magic words. Abracadabra. You know. uh, Hocus pocus. Or... Open sesame or something like that. You know, we, we have these magic words. These, we just have to pray these words. and we just say them just right, well then, then the Lord maybe will do something in our midst. But that's not really what the prayer is all about, is it? It's really about a lesson on how to pray. And it's a call that we should all be involved in prayer. That the Lord has offered us all the opportunity to be involved in prayer. And He tells us how to do it. When you come... When you come to pray say this father I love the way this prayer begins father it's it's about relationship isn't it when you come to pray it's not like you have to come and say oh thou great and great a, a magnificent king you know uh, I'm pounding my chest I'm not worthy although that would be a great thing to do because it's true but Jesus doesn't say to do that he says when you pray you pray father now for some of you maybe that word has some bad baggage has a little bit of bad baggage for me, too. But even for those of us who have the best of fathers, Jesus says, come praying, Father. Recognize that you're in relationship to God, that He loves you the way a father, the way a good father loves his children. But also say, hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name. Recognize that while He's our Father, He is not exactly like us. He is not the same. Isaiah says, My ways are above your ways. I'm not like you. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so different is the, God, is our, is the Lord our God from us. So when we come, say, Hallowed be thy name. God is not like the car salesman, not like the politician. He's one to be trusted because He is morally pure. And entirely different. But come asking, Jesus says, doesn't he? When you come, recognize to whom you're coming, and then come asking. Your kingdom come. This is about a political reality for first century Israel. It's about the end to Babylonian and and Greek and, and Roman rule. Lord, set us free from your kingdom. But it's more than that. It's about the conversion of all people to Christianity, which will forever change the world. Lord, I pray that you would do something in our world so that your kingdom would be so powerful, so intact, so overwhelming, that people would come to know you. But also more than that, that we would come expecting. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins. We don't ask for these things unless we ask expecting. And in fact, that's the whole second part of the, of the lesson, isn't it? That who, when their neighbor comes knocking in the middle of the night, Hey, I need some milk and eggs. You know, you might say, Hey, I'm in bed already. Well, get out of bed. I need some milk and eggs. We have guests and they're hungry. Or which which of you, if your child said, I need something to eat. Instead of a pop tart, you'd give them a scorpion. It doesn't say Pop-Tart in this one, but that's what I would make him. You know, instead of a Pop-Tart, you give him a scorpion. No, you wouldn't do that. Come expecting that God gives good gifts. And keep asking. Keep believing. Be persistent. You know, when we had our third child, two things happened. First, nobody invited us over ever again. Because once you have three children, it's too much. Um, but then, the second thing that happened was that um, that our kids learned that they outnumbered us. You know, it's bad. Yeah. Those of you who have two children, you're smarter than we are. and We just didn't do our math very well. They knew they outnumbered us. And so they would just be persistent. If they wanted something, they would just ask. And then number two would come asking. And then number three. And now number four. And they just kept on and kept on until eventually we would say, oh yes, whatever you want. They knew that they could wear us down. If we... If we can listen to our children after a while, Jesus says, God doesn't wear down, but be persistent. Keep asking. Keep believing. Where have your where has your cynicism begun to creep in? Where have you become cynical and hard in this life? Politics? Oh, it's easy to get hard and cynical there, isn't it? Maybe, um, maybe in the future of the church. Maybe you're not so sure thy kingdom come is really happening. You see people who are ordaining all sorts of individuals to the episcopate. You say, is the, does the church have any future? Or maybe even our own local church. You know, where does a small group here in Hudson? You know, do we have a future? And we begin to wring our hands uncertain. Maybe not cynical, but certainly Uncertain. Where have you begun to have doubts creep in, unsure whether or not prayer really makes a difference? Philip Gully tells a story about uh, when he was a boy growing up in rural Indiana. He said he had a name, neighbor uh, named Mr. Welty. And Mr. Welty was this um, crotchety, mean old fella. who, uh, Gully says, one day he was walking through his yard and he threw a shovel at him. So Gully says he was a young boy, so he went back and he, he filled up a water balloon. And he went back to Mr. Welty's house and waited for him to walk around the corner and landed it right between his eyes. Took off running home. Mr. Welty had already been on the phone calling the police. Said the local cop pulls up out in front of his yard and Gully's out there on a, on a swing in the tree and he's swinging. The cop walks up and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, So I heard you hit old Mr. Welty with a water balloon. Philip Gully says, uh, Yes, sir, I did. Cop looked at him and said, Nice shot. Nice <laughs> shot seems like nobody liked Mr. Weldy. He was mean and hard and cruel. Philip grew up and he, he went to college, went to graduate school, and he got married, had a couple children, moved back to his hometown. He's walking down the street one day, and guess who's walking the other way? Old Mr. Weldy. He stopped and talked to him for a few minutes, and he realized straight away something happened. This man was different. He wasn't the same man he remembered growing up as a child. He got home, he rang up his dad, he said, Dad, what happened to Mr. Weldy? He said, well, Mr. Weldy's mom died. She was all he had in the world. He realized that he had pushed people away for so long that he better start acting different or he'd be all by himself in the world. And so when little kids came around playing in his yard, he brought out trays of Kool-Aid and cookies instead of throwing shovels at them. And now kids play in his yard and they tear it up all the time. It looks a mess, but I think it's a more inviting place over there. He said, Mr. Welty had become a different person. And he realized that people do change. You know, I don't know what causes you to get hard and cynical. I know a lot of things cause me to get hard and cynical. But our Lord says, You want to see the world change? Come and pray. Because God hears and He answers prayer. And that's the one thing That we can cling to no matter what. Amen.